0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 463 of the podcast that goes next. next. I'm your host, Jason, and we're going to climb on the backs of the Excalibros that's right, we're going to just jump right in and keep talking about a whole lot of new comics that feature our friend Wolverine. <laughs> and by the way, if you're not listening to Miss Scala Rose currently, I just got to say, why not? Go do it. You can find them on any podcasting platforms. Uh, and They're also on Podbean, or hosted by Podbean, where, where we are as well. Um, but yeah. definitely go check them out and dan and georgie were just on an episode uh catching up on current x-men comics including inferno trial of Magneto, etc so check that out go check out their show but this episode is going to be a solo mission and we're just going to crash through a a lot (laughs) of wolverine related comic books there's quite a bit to to go through here so i you know We'll probably rapid fire some of them. Some of them I'll spend a little more time on. You'll probably be able to tell which ones I enjoy the most by. Well, that's not always true. Sometimes the stuff I really like, I know I have a lot to say about. It. Like, it's awesome. How many different ways can I say it's awesome? <laughs> we'll do the best we can. We'll do the best we can. So, um, we're going to start off with the X Men Legends number seven, which is going to tell a tale in Wolverine's history. Um, you know, most of the X-Men Legends, at least the first chapter of the arcs, have, like, I'm giving you an editor's note that says, hey, this is where this one goes. Um, like, the Adam X one, you can look back to, like, I think it was X-Men 33, um, it was kind of right around that, it was after the wedding. Uh, Kind of pretty close to where we are in in flashback episodes right now. Um, I think this one we're actually going to go backwards a little bit, however, it does not have a direct note, but it's still Wolverine and Jubilee hanging out together in Japan, and he still has his adamantium, so I'm gonna say it's somewhere before Fatal Attraction, so somewhere probably running parallel to something we've covered in the last few months, four to five months on the matchback episodes, is where this would fit in, so it would have been cool if that had lined up like exactly right, but you know, I didn't do it. So anyway, we're going to get back to some Hammer time. It's an X-Men Legends number seven. This is Kidnapped. Written by Larry Hammer, Art by Billy Tan. Uh, Colors by Chris Sotomayor. Uh, Letters by V.C. Joe Caramagna. And editors are Lauren Amaro, Mark Basso, Jordan D. White, and C.B. Cebulski. And, you know, i got to say... Obviously, on the flashback episodes, we, for the most part, right? No one hits a home run every time. No one bats a thousand. There's two sports analogies for your comic book podcast. See, it can happen. <laughs> but um, anyway, we here on the podcast, I guess Nick, have by and large not only been enjoying, but been quite loving, uh, Larry Hammond's run on the solo Wolverine book. It's been pretty fantastic overall. I'm always a little trepidatious um, when the, the the legends of the past do current work, it can have mixed results. <laughs> Sometimes it can be pretty cool, it can be nostalgic in the right way or they even still have something new to do and it can be really interesting and they just are still that talented. Sometimes the Zeitgeist has passed, the lightning is no longer in the bottle and it may not necessarily be a rehash, so you definitely see that. You definitely see people that just play their greatest hits, and that's unfortunate. But even sometimes when they try to do something different, maybe they just don't have it as much. And, you know, I will confess, as much as I love G.I. Joe and Larry Hama, is the chief reason for most of that, because the art was very up and down in that book, let's be honest. Uh, The Marvel G.I. Joe series, there were times when the art was fantastic, there were times when it was not <laughs> at all. When it was always entertaining, and that's mostly because of Hama and the development he put into the characters and the personalities and and all that fun stuff. I um, mean, he was the, the mastermind behind G.I. Joe. And I liked the Devil's Due series, and I read that for a while. Um, I have not really picked up any, to be honest, of of Hammer's continuation of the original Marvel series. And I think it's, it's still at Devils Do, I believe. Or I ID, no. IDW is now the people that own all that. Um Nice I don't know. I think it looks like it'd probably be good. I may mean, get to it someday. Uh I just haven't. And so I don't really have any context to how that is or isn't from a quality standpoint. And honestly, haven't heard a whole lot of people in my circle talk about it. So if you're in my circle or not in my circle and you listen to the show and you want to have a conversation with me or or get in the circle, come on, it's a big circle. Get in. But anyway, if you're reading that book, please share. uh, Thumbs up. I guess if you're still reading, it's got to be a thumbs up. There's not many of us left who who buy stuff to be miserable unless we are doing it for a podcast. Oh, goodness, the things we do. Um, yeah, I'd bet, I guess maybe then, if you, if you are a fan, maybe talk about what is it that is appealed to you or why I should jump into it now versus just kind of getting around to it at my leisure, right? Because may, maybe I need to be reading this, but I haven't been. I will say, though, Hammer uh, recently did a Iron Fist miniseries that conceptually was pretty good, but it was just kind of above average. Like, not good, not great. It wasn't bad at all. It was just kind of... I wouldn't even say it was mediocre. I mean, it was it was, it was slightly above average. I enjoyed it to some degree. And I like kind of the idea of, like, the dragons and, and all that. But it just, I don't know, something about it. It didn't have that same hammer-time magic. So I've been both excited and worried about reading X-Men Legends number 7. But, it's time. Here we are. Um, so, you know, this, like I said, is kidnapped. And we start off in Osaka, Japan. And we see Logan in his western wear And Jubilee, they're coming out of a rain-soaked rain street. <laughs> I mean, an unnecessary tongue twister. And they come coming to this bar. And... Wolverine has Jubilee by the arm and says he has some merchandise they might be interested in assuming that he's going to traffic Jubilee. But then the, uh, the the Yakuza that are in the bar are like Get Lost, Gaijin I think I'm saying that right. Georgie had explained to me once what it was and it's in one the movies out loud and I still don't remember. But um anyway he, he says Wolverine says but wait It's a mutant. And they're like, okay, well, do your thing. And Jubilee looks down. She's all pathetic looking because she's, you know soaking wet and she does like a little fizzle of firecrackers like a little it's even the lettering like a little paf 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 like <laughs> real soft and it's just a couple of bursts that like only go a few inches past her fingers and it's almost like a dud right like that's the idea like like when you get a firework and you're expecting this big explosion it just goes boom <laughs> and it's kind of like what um so they all start laughing and they're like oh Poor little white guy, what have you done? And one of the guys puts his arm around him and pulls out a knife and is going to stab him. But then we get a snick, schlunk, and we see three wolverine claws come out from behind his back, hidden from view, but they come out of his chest. (laughs) And uh, then they start yelling. One of the guys grabs Jubilee, puts a knife to her neck. Uh, Logan breaks a guy's nose. Uh, Billy Tan really lays into some of the brutality here. Like the guy's eye like almost pops out of his head when Wolverine punches his nose and breaks his nose. And then Jubilee's like, oh, you know what, I can't do stuff. And she starts doing her powers for real. She paths two guys in the nuts. <laughs> and they don't like that. Then we see uh, a shadowy figure in the street with an umbrella as the two guys run away with their junk smoking it's like a cartoon you're like oh, 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 oh and they run away then the uh the i don't know, the waitress or the the sushi bar person uh pulls out knives and two knives come out of the air and and catch her sleeves and pin her arms to the wall and it is Yukio, and so she's here and so they all sit down and go to a ramen mall, have some noodles and some drink. And, um, Logan's curious, like, Yukio's usually in Tokyo. What's she doing in Osaka? And she was hired by an orphanage to locate two sisters who were abducted, Uh, Yurei and hino Um, their parents died in a house fire when the girls were toddlers. Um... The orphanage thought they were mutants, so... Hino-chan is a pyromaniac... Oh, sorry, no. They didn't know she was mutant. They thought she was a pyromaniac. But she melted the lock when they locked her up. Um, and so she's a mutant. And then... Um, you suspect... Uh, here's Hammett showing you how smart he is, again. That's my only ever complaint, he's so, like... Needs to let you know all the technical stuff he knows. Um, Anyway, uh, he suspects they have congenital analgesia and is probably impervious to pain, which I didn't realize... I think that's actually two different things, so maybe I should look up. (laughs) I thought they were saying, like, comma, like, analgesia was being impervious to pain, but I think it's something different, so... I do you a medical definition. Oh, yeah. Okay, it is kind of the same thing. So, yeah. So, imperiums to pain, and pyrotechnic powers, um, and then Yurei is uh, she kept teleporting out of her prison. So or just kept trying to lock them up. Uh, one would burn out, and one would teleport out. And these so these two sisters, um, and then turns out. They're on similar missions because Logan and Jubilee are here, because Xavier heard about mutant kids being abducted and trafficked in Osaka, Japan, and so sent them to investigate. So um, then we also get a, uh, a reference to Daikumo. Uh, remember that story—the guy with the uh, the spider tattoo on his face from the yakuza, the boss. Uh that actually was I guess we do have a, a little bit of context. And that's Wolverine thirty three. Um we we talked about that episode with Mr. John Wilson. I look forward to having him back on the show soon. Um but yeah. So I guess I guess we do we put this back like in the mid thirties, so um if we're now on seventy five. I guess it's quite a quite a ways further back than I was thinking originally, which is fine. Um Jimmy are you really I guess so. Gosh, that all bores together for me. But anyway, they decide to uh, team up. And then we see a news reporter uh, giving a report on TV about this restaurant that was destroyed. And there's blood and claw marks everywhere. And they don't know what's going on. So there's also throwing stars or they're ninja. And then we, um, we find a gel cell in the back of the restaurant... with a bed and a bucket... and part of a schoolgirl uniform... but it's empty... so we know that... uh, Wolverine, Yukio, and Jubilee... are hot on the trail... Um, so they are interrogating a guy... who's... you know... just having none of it... Uh, he's a hard case... and he figures out... when Wolverine pops his claws... that this owns his patch... the guy with the claws... even though Patch's whole reason for being... Was to not be associated with Wolverine. So I, I remember there was a point where he like popped the claws and people were like, oh. But anyway, I guess, <laughs> I guess the, uh, the worst kept disguise in Marvel history is, is making the rounds again. Um, so he wants to know where the kids are, and there's an aquarium with a black market meat. And they go to get in there, and we find that one of the girls is there. And basically they have this like false bottom aquarium with these goblin sharks. And they're going to put the kid under the false bottom because no one, even in customs, is going to reach through the water full of goblin sharks to, to check on the item. So they figure it's is safe. So there's the, um, um, the, the boss lady and then a, a, a feminine figure shadowed in robes. Um, And that's where our heroes, Wolverine, Jubilee, and Yukio bust in. And then we find out the lady in the robe is Lady Deathstrike, which I guess I should go back now and mention the cover by Mr. Tan. Um, It's Wolverine and Deathstrike fighting with hand ninjas all around and Jubilee in the forefront shooting her fireworks. It's it's a pretty good cover. Uh, So anyway, back to our story. Um... Deathstrike and Wolverine fight. Jubilee fights. Uh, Deathstrike sinks her fingers into Wolverine's chest. but Wolverine punches her over. And then um, the boss lady pulls down. And Hand ninja, ninja drop from the sky. So more fighty fight. Um, as, as really they're covering the exit. Uh, Deathstrike goes to continue to smuggle the kid. Yukio chases her down. But Deathstrike slices her down. She grabs Jubilee, and gets on a forklift with the aquarium and rides off. Wolverine is surrounded by ninja, but he's like Jubilee. And he's like, all right, let's help the Andy. And so he sticks his claws into the aquarium, the big aquarium, not the one that they're traveling with, and he pulls it out. And water starts to come out. The glass starts to break, and then it all falls out. Whoosh! And the goblin sharks come out and start eating the undead ninja. Uh, for some reason, they either leave Wolverine alone or Wolverine. she doesn't care. And Wolverine looks for Yukio. Yukio is outside. She'll survive, but Death ran off with Jubilee. And uh, Logan is mad. But the other sister shows up. Says, just take my hand. I can take you to her. And teleports them away. So the sister who's the pyrotechnic is the one in the aquarium. And the sister who can teleport. Uh, got loose, or maybe they already let her loose. I don't remember what they said. That the cage was empty, I thought it was just because they transported the kid in the aquarium. But oh, one of the kids was never found, so so she shows up and this is a teleporter. And they teleport Wolverine away, but as they leave, Yukio's face goes dark and she is stabbed through, run through with a sword by the boss lady, and that's the end. Um. I have a confession to make. (laughs) My intent, after reading this and getting ready to talk about it, was to lean more towards the disappointing side. That that it was a decent story, but the classic Hama charm was missing. Kind of the magic was missing. There wasn't anything wrong with it. It just didn't have that it that Larry Hama stories usually have. And I I still don't think it has, like, like it's not awesome. But I enjoyed it more after talking about it and talking through it than I remembered. So, I think coming into the recording, I was laid down in my notes uh, a three out of six clause, but I think I'm going to change that. I think I'm going to say, you know, again, it's not like as good as the old stuff. And so let's talk about Tan's art, because it still looks like him, but he's definitely swin into a little bit more traditional art. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this. There's a thing that these guys do um, that you see a lot, whereas they get a little bit looser than the pencils or get different inkers or whatever, and so it's not quite as bold, or stylized and it's, it, it fits a little more into kind of the mainstream of what Marvel's doing and I'm not saying that's a negative thing I just it's just something I noticed like people will have like a very distinct like you can recognize them right away that's who it is and, you, and then you know, kind of as an art evolves sometimes some of that distinction is lost I kind of feel that way about uh, Billy Tan's art here it's good and you can tell, like mean, if you really look at it, you can see, like, in facial expressions and stuff like that, that it's definitely him. But some of the distinction is lost, and almost in favor of a more just kind of standard anime cartoon style, like, in some of the faces and stuff. Again, not bad. It's good art. It's just different. I, I don't know, it's just a trend I noticed, and I'm just commenting on it. I'm not really giving necessarily commentary, just noticing. Um... Yeah, I'm going to give X-Men wedges number seven four out of six claws. I enjoyed it enough. I mean, the idea of Wolverine, Jubilee, and Yukio busting up like a mutant child trafficking ring, like, obviously, human trafficking is possibly the worst evil on the I can't really great evil, so I won't say it's the worst evil on the planet. It's deplorable. Like, any kind of abuse, especially of children, And any kind of sexual trafficking is just mm, straight from the pits of hell. But, um, just deplorable as deplorable can be. So, the idea of, like, having stories where people, like, bust up that kind of stuff is good. This is not too over-serious. Like, it's dressed up in, like, kind of uh, Japanese martial arts yakuza action. And take some of the bite away, but you still get the satisfaction of, of... human traffickers getting them to come uppance at the end of Wolverine's Claws. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that aspect to it as well. I, you know, I think overall, it's a pretty solid story. It's pretty solid art. Nothing too, just super amazing, not necessarily a home run, but a good, like, double or triple to go with our sports analogies. So, four out of six Claws for X-Men and Legends number seven. I will say it's probably been my favorite so far, though the Adam X surprised me that no, I liked it all right. <laughs> I cannot actually do either of the X-Factor ones. I started them both. Um, I got a few pages into the, the Simonson one. I just, it was not. For me, I... So just a brief and just a sidebar. I think there are some artists that I loved. And I think still do really good work. Not all of it looks great with modern colors. And I think Simonson is one of those guys that with the super modern digital coloring, it makes it look less appealing than kind of some of your classic coloring in a very stylized, like just kind of awesome different art that he does. Um, then the the Peter David with Todd now, which by the way, the yeah, Escalbros covered that on their show. Uh, i know on at least the last episode um, i'm trying to remember now if they did both issues i think they did both issues at once i'm pretty sure uh, i did not read it and they did not make me decide to read it <laughs> they weren't they kind of thought it was okay um and i i started it and again I, I don't know just didn't hit for me but this one you know i actually kind of enjoyed so Anyway, we're going to go to Wolverine number 16. Uh, this is Brought to Bay or Ill-Gotten Gains. Written by Benjamin Percy. Art by Adam Kubert, uh, Multiple color artist. Uh, well, actually, so Frank Martin, he's been our normal colorist, does the first two pages. And then Espen Gründchen. I don't think I said that right. Um, Engine. Maybe, uh, does the rest of the colors then? Uh, VC's Corey Pendant does the letters, Tom Mueller design, uh, Kiebert and Martin do the cover, and this is a lovely cover. I don't know why they decided to break up the logo, but the logo is huge, it takes out the whole background three letters per line, so you know, the WL, then the next line ER, the next line INE, and then across the front, and that's all I get a brown. Dark brown hue that has like a a yellow white center that radiates out. That's hard to explain. I don't know if I did a great job, but anyway. The color grade, there's like in the center of the cover, which is the mm, E, the middle E of Wolverine, it's like almost white and then a light yellow. And as you expand out from that, the color gets darker into this orange and dark brown. And then in front of the logo, we have a solemn jumping down. Within the, the Miramusa blade, and Wolverine leaping up towards him, so they're kind of diagonally from corner to corner, from the bottom left to top right, and uh, Wolverine's on the bottom, and he's got his arms crossed, using his claws to stop uh, Solemn's blade. Uh, the cool thing about both of them is they, the closer to the center of the image, the more detailed they are, and then the farther they get towards the corners, the more the color fades into just like abstract color. Um, it's a really neat cover. This is probably going to be a candidate for a cover of the year um, for the Wolfie Awards. It's, it's really neat. So we've been really enjoying this. I say we, I have been really enjoying the solemn story so far. We start with Logan in the Green Lagoon he's on the hunt to find Solemn, and he just can't, um, you know, may, and he's been getting, you know, caught, kind of snippets of Solomon's life story, he's like, well, maybe he's a victim, or maybe he's a predator, which reminds me of one of my favorite song lyrics, um, uh, in Stay by U2 off Zeropa. uh, you know, it talks about stumbling out of a hole in the ground, a vampire or a victim, depends on who's around. Um, yeah, I just always like that line, identified with it. Um, not that I'm a vampire, but, you know, like, like how you're seen, whether the villain or the hero, depends on kind of what's going on. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so he's trying to decide what's going on with Solomon. He's drinking in the dark. Um, and out of the shadows, to join him for a drink, is Solemn. And Wolverine we get a snicked as his right hand pops the claws and his left hand crushes the glass he was the shot glass he was holding and um, he says, give me the remusible or I'll tap you like a keg, Solemn. And uh, he's like, wow, that's no thanks for bringing you a drink. And Wolverine's like, I don't see you. And then Blob walks up with a bottle of wine and two wine glasses. Uh, 1961 Left Bank, Bordeaux. Uh, had to dig deep in the cellar he says so Solomon sits down pours himself a glass of wine says he's still learning about earth Um, but he really likes the French because they're very sensual and understand pleasure Um, and he basically says I want a toast but it's hard with those manicured nails on this place how about you relax and Wolverine keeps his, he still has his claws out in his right hand. He knocks his empty wine glass away. Solomon's like, nope. Okay. He probably wouldn't like this wine anyway. More of a bourbon guy, right? Um, and Wolverine's getting mad. He's kind of cussing. Solomon's like, naughty, naughty. <laughs> so Wolverine again says, give me the sword. Um, and Solomon's like, oh, why don't you sit right there? <laughs> I'll tell you a story about how I became the Fresh Prince of uh Um (laughs) so he is he's tells Wolverine. So remember in the last couple issues, um uh what's his name? Not Sinister, um Oh good grief. Blackmore. What is Blackmore's name? Sever, oh my gosh, sorry. I kept wanting to say sinister. I know it's not right. Um, the so sever Blackmore has been playing Wolverine as if Solemn is kinda of their mutual enemy. Now here Solemn is saying the Blackmoor is their mutual enemy. Um, and says, hoping that Wolverine can help. Um he says, you know, Blackmore's obsessed with me. Um, you know, what he promised you, the other mirror Musa blade, you won't get it. Um if he gets me, he'll just pillage Krakoa. Because all Sever does is take, take, and take. And we get a nice snack, and Wolverine's like, take. So sounds pretty familiar. And he's like, Wolverine, look, and please understand, I'm the victim here. I've been a victim my whole life. I'm only trying to survive and survive. One has to look out for oneself. And he reaches over to grab Wolverine's arm. Wolverine pulls away, don't touch me. Um... <laughs> Solomon says... If I can't touch your hand... Maybe I can touch your heart... And he... He gives a different spin... On his past... With Blackmore. Instead of being trained... You know... He's tied to the front of the boat... He's beaten... He's thrown in the... Proverbial lion's den... With Arako and... Mutant lion monsters... Um... And about... The logic diamonds... On the Marauder... Um... He traffics and lies. He's the greatest pirate in Arico. What better way to lay claim on Earth than pillaging and plundering the Marauder? Um, so Wolverine's like, so you didn't take the diamonds? And it's like, well, oh, no, I did. Um, but Blackmoor, I stole them from Blackmore. Blackmore stole them from the Russians. I stole them from Blackmore. Um, <laughs> Wolverine goes, your words stink like this wine. <laughs> and Solomon says, as a sign of good faith, I've actually already given the diamonds back. And was like, what? He goes, they're on Krakoa. I returned them. He's like, bull. Um, he says, I swear on the soul of my dead parents. He goes, I want a slice of Krakoa. I want to earn my share of the spoil. I know you don't believe me, but I'll prove it as soon as you help me with Sever. Um, and we get another partial snicked, the claws just kind of pop out. I don't know if they still make a snick sound if just the tips come out, but anyway, it's, that's the sound effect. I don't really think of that as being almost more of the claws, like setting, like the, the end of the claws, setting against uh, his fist bones, but whatever. Um, and Solomon says, I know you desperately want the blade but I'm guessing not to serve as a scabbard. Pretty good line, as he holds the sword up to Wolverine's chest to counteract the Snicked. Um, he says, you will get double-crossed. Why don't we help each other? And uh, Wolverine says, give me the sword, and you have my word, I'll help you take down Sever. And so, he does. So, Wolverine ties Solomon up, brings him to Blackmoor, and trains him for the sword. Uh, you know or is about to and Blackmore says you know I don't I don't trust allegedly this sword can cut through adamantium and he's been trying to kill Solomon, so he says you know before I give you this back I got to test it out and he's going to cut through Solomon with the miramusa blade and kill him as you know his prize and Wolverine's like, now! And he takes the other sword, and he cuts the ropes around Solemn, and he's like, Solemn, now! And Solomon jumps off the side of the boat and says, I told you you would be double-crossed. <laughs> he jumps away. So now Wolverine's mad, Blackmore's mad. They both have a blade. Um, they're going to fight. Um, and They do. They, they fight around the boat. Um, at one point, there's an awesome panel Wolverine pulling up this awesome arco an anchor that has like a skull and a mermaid and it looks great um and he throws the anchor at Blackmore almost wraps him up with it and then knocks him overboard and he sinks and he cuts it loose so he just really does just sink i believe this means that wolverine get, he picks up the sword but i think okay i'm trying to Trying to keep up here. So Solomon jumps without the sword. They both have a sword. They're looking at the hilt, I'm not sure Wolverine's sword is it. Did Solomon's mirror Musa have like thorns on it? Because Blackmore has the one. I don't know. Anyway, um, he grabs Blackmore's sword. I think he threw the other sword. So when he grabs the anchor, we don't see. He's holding the sword. And then he's holding the anchor. And then he picks up the sword the Blackmore had when he knocks him overboard. And that's the one he, he has at the end here. So I don't know it's hard for me to keep up with who has what swords. I need a I need a flow chart or some index cards. Um anyway, we go back to the White Palace at Hellfire Bay, Emma's there and um Wolverine shows up and says, I figured after you lost your ship you want a new one. He has Blackmore's ship but he wants a favor. Um so elsewhere on Krakoa, you know, Black Tom is going to help find the snake in paradise. And there's one part of Krakoa that he can't communicate with. Um there's a the hidden part. And it's like almost like a steamy mush field. And so <laughs> um he calls them like pockets or tumors on Krakoa. Remember we really had that one thing the like guy spit out. So, anyway, Krakoa is connected to Arico, the little piece that didn't go to space. Um, and it has a gate to Mars. And, you know, in this hidden part, Wolverine side, the Solomon's been there all along. He goes to get him. But he's wrapped up in plants. And Solomon comes out and says, I just wanted to win. Um, (laughs) and don't be so dramatic and he shows up and he has this this den and he's got some eggs and a cerebral helmet and then he feels like he has the upper hand but Emma comes in in diamond form and uh, where he says Emma Frost the diamond you can never own and basically says you like shiny things here you go and, um... Emma has a deal. Um, as Logan leaves. And Emma's like, we have so much to talk about. Christian, the Marauder, the Logic Diamonds. Even a possible partnership on the Arico Transit Hub. If you do what you're told. And then we have a uh, epilogue. Okay, so Wolverine does have both swords. And he wants to honor them and protect them. But then we see that the wife that they killed down with the beast... And Hell um, is back. And she's on a throne, on the beast throne with some ninja, and obviously won't be part of the next story or at least a future story. So that was a lot of fun. The art was awesome. The story is pretty great. Solomon was not maybe as threatening. It was kinda of cutesy, but I kinda of like that. It kind of fits. Um, you know, it's a little bit lighter version necessarily than we got in Ten of Swords, but I enjoyed it. I thought he was a great foil for Wolverine. Uh, he's very flippant and Wolverine is always pretty serious. So I, you know as yeah, if we're gonna have like a potential long-standing rivalry and a new like villain, I think both Blackmore and Saul will get introductions to the Wolverine character cast. So I'm gonna give Wolverine 16 six out of six claws. I enjoyed the heck out of it. All right, so now we're going to jump back in to our Infinity Comics. Um, Let me find them. So, oh, come on. You're not helping. Okay, so we're going to talk about X-Men Unlimited um, 5 and 6. So let me start with number 5. Um, so these are... These two chapters are by... Gary Dugan. Artist Emilio Laiso, I think. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Josephino Production by Annie Ching. Production Manager Tim Smith III. Or Tim Smith Three. And so... I just want to get one thing out of the way. I'm not going to judge this story by this. But I was pretty sure... That we were going to... So there were in the other unlimited story with Wolverine and Nightcrawler or Wolverine, there were three mutants stolen by AIM. We found two, Nightcrawler and Chamber. And they were about to get they're on their way to get the third at the end of, of issue number four. And then we saw that Aim had like a whole like cave full of these pods that may have been mutants, may have been a combination of things. And we assume that's probably where the third one is, but that's it. <laughs> But it's one thing to say okay we got the three we know and Abe has more but they know of at least three Then wolverine was on a mission again and the mission's over and he only got two not only that but they were like hey nightcrawler and chamber let's go get the last one okay i guess that all happened off panel or whatever because we're leaving that story the story with hickman and Shelby it seems it seems to be done maybe we'll come back to it maybe this is just like a break Maybe, you know, to catch up on art. I don't know. It was really weird. That kind of bothered me. But I'm, I'm putting that aside. I'm not going to talk about it with this story. Um, so this story is really mostly about Nature Girl. And there's a nice, there's a cool little party on the beach of Krakoa. Uh Pyro is playing like a Kokoan instrument made out of the tree. And it just sounds really awesome, they say. And he does some Johnny Cash. Um... Now, what condition my condition is in. I'm trying to remember what song that is. I don't want to say it because I will say it wrong. But then but then after that, he goes in a ring of fire, which is fun. Um, anyway, a sea turtle wash up, and Nature Girl tries to talk to him. and gets very distressed. and um, The sea turtle chokes up in his dying breath like this either a napkin or a shopping bag. And Nature Girl goes to the place. She goes in the gate, Goes to the restaurant, or the, or the convenience store, I guess is really what it is. Threatens the guy, and then stabs him in the neck with scissors. And he dies. And that's the end. Or no, not the end. Um, then, uh, you know, the police show up. She's just sitting there in the restroom. They send in a police dog a German Shepherd. Of course, she explains what happened, and the German Shepherd becomes her best friend. And they, they leave. She uses birds to attack. Or no, just Las Vegas animals. The, the, the places in Vegas. so there's birds and parrots and monkeys and white tigers that just attack the cops. And they run away. And Xavier's like, uh-oh. We have a very hurt and misguided mutant on the loose. Nature girl has committed a serious crime broken the Krokoan law. By essence, she should be thrown in the pit. And Xavier's going to send Wolverine to go get her back to be continued so that's number five and yes I'm going to go pretty quickly through these um, so then number six is the same creative team and it's Wolverine in the desert the Nevada desert on a motorcycle uh, doing what he does best but it's always not nice and there's a cool line where Dugan says uh, there's nowhere my prey can run from me once i got your scent, game over. Um, and so he, he says, you know, he used to teach Nature Girl. He taught her pretty well, but she's kind of gone off the reservation. Or off the deep end. Yeah. Um, and so she and the dog are in a cave. Uh, we see where Nature Girl had a conversation with Krakoa. Wolverine talks about how You know, he smells the dog, and the dog will probably smell him. It does. We can get a growl. And they come out, and nature says, I don't want to fight. And Wolverine's like, neither do I. So let's not. But she's like, I can't ignore it anymore. Humans are destroying this planet. I have to change their minds. We can't just be separate from them. I've got to save Earth. And I'm not coming home until I do. And Wolverine's like, they can't be changed, darling. (laughs) A little bit of pessimism there, but of course, obviously, probably not in the way that Nature Girl wants to, but she's like, oh, I'm not going back, and Wolverine's like, I don't like fighting animals, and she's like, well, you're not going to fight this animal, but they both are defending me, and Wolverine gets a puzzled look, both? And she's like, whose cave do you think this is? And then giant black bear comes out. Um, it may be a grizzly bear, but it's definitely black in coloring. Um, Wolverine's like, damn it, girl, whatever happens next is on you. And going to snicked. And he jumps at the bear. The bear with tiny baby hens in this one panel. Um, and Ninja Girl hops while they're fighting. Hops on the motorcycle with the dog and drives off. Wolverine continues to fight the bear. He's not having fun. The bear is eviscerating him. He doesn't want to hurt the bear. Um, he cuts him a little bit. But then, I guess, after Nature Girl gets a certain distance away in the motorcycle, the bear snaps out of it, runs back in his cave, we get a snack. Um, and he says, I'll go back to Vegas, but I gotta take a nap first. And he looks down, and his intestines are coming out of his stomach, and he falls over. And um, Nature Girl takes the dog back to Krakoa, and she's packing her things for a one-way trip back to a gate somewhere back in america and uh this mutant curse who may or may not have existed before wants to go with her and nature goes like all right and we're gonna get in trouble uh you may get thrown in the pit if we have to kill people and he's like i bet the pit's cool i bet there's cool stuff down there Sabertooth, ha haha it reminds me of and i'm the so first of all um Theology and religious beliefs aside, uh, whether you do or don't believe in hell, I just—it reminds me of when I was a teenager and there were certain kids who thought, "Oh man, I don't care if I go to hell. Hell's probably cool." And you know, the reality is, it, 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 whether it's real or not, like you don't want to really—no one really wants to, really want to be tortured forever. Like it's just kind of a a funny, youthful, rebellious thing. It's one thing to just say, "Oh." I... I'm going to do what I want to do, because I don't think that's that exists, but, uh, you know, the whole, like, oh, it'll be fun to be laid alive and burned or whatever, yeah, no one's really buying that. <laughs> you take off your Marilyn Manson t-shirt and go out and watch someone else. Um, but anyway, anyway, it's kind of what reminds me of, kind of that trope of, this kid's like, oh, i be cool to be, like, dead and tortured. That's fun. <laughs> I don't know, maybe there are people not really identify with that. It's just it always struck me as odd. And I I always more like, well, you know if, if you don't believe in it then just say I don't believe in it, so quit telling me about it. But to be like, Oh I bet it's anyway, whatever. Um, so Nature Girl is gonna go, Alright. Um so in this story. I don't know if I like Nature Girl being like the villain of the piece. I mean, she hasn't really had a whole lot to do since she's been around, but maybe it could have been something else besides this. I don't know. Also, I. Alright. So, a few things. I know Wolverine fighting animals is like playing the greatest sense, right? I mean, he fought a bear back in the Seminole Claremont Miller mini. It's in the movie. Um, and not a bad scene. And none of those are bad scenes and all of them kind of have their place. I just, I feel like maybe now it's played out. From Wolverine to like being, oh, I have to fight animals, but I love animals. Oh, I hate that I have to do this. Slice, 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 slice. And he still does it anyway. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of over it. Uh, first of all, I mean, I know it's just comics. It's not even, you know, now even in movies, it's usually CGI. So obviously no, no real harm to animals, which, you know, my ecology-minded heart is appreciative, that there's no real harm done, but I don't know, maybe it's become that much of a softie, that even in fiction, I don't really like to see animals butchered for no reason, and uh, it's weird, it's weird, I'm probably complaining about what most people would consider nothing, but it's just, it's it just kind of played out for me, I, I understand that it's a source of drama and conflict, because Wolverine really doesn't want to do it, but let them fight. I, I guess you can argue it's the same thing as fighting monsters. Superman, you know, kills some monsters. Wolverine kills some aliens. Those are someone's animals are people, too. So Maybe it's just my, my earthly trappings <laughs> having so much sentiment and sensitivity for, like, bears and dogs and animals that I've seen. Um, there's something, when you make it fantastic, that Yeah, if you really take it logically and contextualize it, in that world, those are real things. But it doesn't look like a real thing. I don't know. We're we're getting into way too much meta stuff that I don't really want to get buried in because I can go talk about that forever. (laughs) Maybe if you want me to, hit me up. We can just talk about it personally. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just say I'm kind of tired of it. And I'm also, I'm a little bit... (sighs) There's something that takes the teeth out of some important topics when you just say, well yes, ecology is good, but if you take if you're extreme and radical about it, you're a bad guy. And we've seen this kind of thing in comics a lot. And a whole lot. So many supervillains villains that like, well, if you just do this differently, I actually agree with you on principle. Like, I I agree, we need to have less pollution. We need to have equal rights. We need to have blah, blah, blah. Just don't kill people to do it, and we'll be okay. But I think every time we have a story where someone's like, I'm going to kill someone for a good cause, it just kind of takes the teeth out of issues that we're really trying to work through as a population. Right, like, ecology and climate change, and these are all real conversations. And I understand that we want to tackle real events in our in our fiction. I totally get that, totally on board. I guess I'm just I don't know. I'm sounding really negative, and I'm not trying to be. I just feel like so many times we have the situation where all like I'm gonna see someone reading this who maybe has a very different ecological environmental view than me, and going and see all those tree huggers and just crazy that's not productive to the conversation I'm just presenting a bad guy or a villain who has a controversy or what what shouldn't be a controversial opinion about taking care of the planet I don't know it just makes it sound like well everything's taken too far it almost sounds like we're having Wolverine agree with it as a hero like yeah he agrees the planet needs help But, you know, if you really want to do something about it or try to do something about it, you're crazy. I don't know. I don't, I, and I bet if he ask Jerry Dugan, he's like, he probably loves the planet too. It's just, it's just a trope I'm tired of. I I didn't really like the story. Maybe you can tell that. Um, The art's not bad. bad. Besides, the one scene where the bears' hands get like tiny baby doll hands for no reason. And the rest of the panels is fine. He has normal paws. But <laughs> anyway, um Wolverine looks good. Uh he goes a little wire hanger on Nature Girls Antlers. Um almost almost like a Char like the Charlie Brown version of Antlers. Like you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree stuck to her head. Um other than that the art's pretty good. I just didn't really enjoy the story. I'm gonna give these two uh, two out of six claws, and I'll just kinda of move on, huh? So there is a fun little one that's different. Um, these things are so hard to get out of. My only complaint about these affinity comics is, so if you scroll all the way to the top, you get the X, then it lets you close the whole issue. And if you slide it just right, from the left side, it'll take you to, like, the, the previous issue, or bring up the X as well. But, man, either my thumb just doesn't work, or my phone doesn't work, or I'm just that technically challenged, which is probably, my wife would agree with that one. Um, Alright, so we're going to see y'all. We're going to look at um, the giant size little Marvels Infinity Comics of uh, 5 and 6. So scroll real fast to the bottom here and get the credits. Um, this is the uh, the Game Night Covenant Agenda Complex Directive, Part One of Who Knows, written by Scotty Young, art by Dan Gordine or Gordine, colors by uh, Jean-Francois Bolo, uh, letters by Nate Pico of Blambot, uh, production by Annie Cheng and Tim Smith III. And I love the art style on this. It's, is a guy in the, uh, Lord Diner, Lord Dean, definitely, like, kind of, is in the style of Scotty Young's one of Marvel's, and <laughs> we start off in the treehouse night, but not too late, like, totally before bedtime, we have a game, it's game night, and it's Magneto, Rogue, Gambit, Wolverine, and Sabretooth, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to play, we have Settlers of the Savage Lands, Cards Against Inhumanity, Legion Quest, which is a new RPG. Gambit wants to play poker, which is funny. He's like Omaha, I know, Texas Hold'em, a one I made up called Louisiana. Blow them up. <laughs> he likes his cards and throws them. It's funny. He blows up all the games except Legion Quest. Like, okay. They fill out their character sheets. Samaritan draws a picture of Samaritan, of wild child on a leash. Wolverine draws a picture of the AOA Wolverine, but with both hands. He's like, What do you, Bubs, think of mine? And Rogue's like, It looks just like you with a blue and red costume with no mask. I'm like, fine. And he erases one of the hands and says, Is this better? I took a hand off. It's really funny. There's an uh, uh, energy buzz. And baby Bishop comes through, and he's trying to warn them not to start the game. It will start the age of, and then he gets stepped on, and it's Apocalypse. He looks awesome. He's a cute little Apocalypse, and um, he sees Bishop, and he's like, "Yeah." And so, Apocalypse is going to be the game master, and there's no, all the character sheets have been done, and. He rolls the dice and it rolls down and bounces down the hole like Infinity Scroll, on your phone or on your app. Um, and yeah, so they're gonna make him the game master. And Magneto's like, "Well, oh, Bishop was trying to warn us about something. What do you think it was?" And like, Apocalypse is like, "Let's start the game." And there's a big like explosion of light, and you see light coming out of all the windows and doors of the treehouse. And uh, Age of Apocalypse, Wolverine is in of post-apocalyptic world. And he looks down, he's like, ah, this is not okay. Last time I listened to art critics. <laughs> so, he, he feels like he's, he matched his drawing and it's, it's really cute. Uh, so that's part one. Now let's go to part two. The same creative team and we start off with um, Wolverine A I A Wolverine Age of Apocalypse Wolverine still walking through the wastelands and he's looking for his friends and um he finally sees the Apocalypse Citadel and he's walking through the town it's all barren overgrown with vegetation he's looking for people and he's attacked by a wild child but right before he gets there he snaps at the end of his leash the end of his chain and this Age of Apocalypse tooth. and he says uh I guess I shouldn't have drawn me with a wild child on a leash. I tried to cut the chain, but it's adamantium, which you know is indestructible. And Wolverine says, "Except to erasers while playing RPGs." <laughs> and they all have a good laugh, and Wolverine's like, "Where's everyone else?" And then we see a sentinel come in, and says, "Non-players must return to the game floor," and he takes them to a big game room, and everyone is in the game room playing the games. It's a giant game night. And they get scanned and assigned to their table with Gambit, Rogue, and Magneto. And they're going to try to figure out a way to get out. Um, and they're all still playing the same game and will play forever. And uh, this is a funny part where uh, Rogue says, we've been waiting on you so we can get a way back to our timeline, Sugar," And it's a classic Claremont Sugar, S-U-G-A-H, and my nephew's like sugar with an R, and then he talks a while. He says we're stuck here forever, and Rogue goes ever, ever, Eva! with an H. <laughs> it's a really cute moment, really fun. Um, and so they they figure out they're in the age of apocalypse, and. Magneto says that really loud in Apocalypse is in this big chair and he starts clapping like a little like, Hercules, Hercules and just like, hee It's and he's really just like, I love Game Night and and that's where that one ends and it's it's pretty fun I love the art style on these uh, like I said, um, uh, Dan is uh, imitating Scotty or they work together or whatever, I'm not sure but it's it's a good imitation a form, a form of flattery um, it looks really good, it's really fun the jokes are pretty good I'm enjoying this series um, overall, and i am give these two issues five out of six claws. All right, we're coming up on the end, guys, I promise. Um, I know we're almost at our hour mark. Um, so before we get to a couple other things, I want to talk about Dark Ages number two. We talked about number one, and like, like I said, rules of the show. I don't always even know about <laughs> all the alternate reality stuff, and so I don't cover everything that Wolverine's in I will say I will probably when it's done or maybe when more of this on Marvel Unlimited I will probably go back and do an episode on Demon Days I've heard really good things about it it looks beautiful um so I'm not I'm not I did find out you know I I know a little bit more about that one so I will definitely cover it at some point um anyway Dark Ages is one that I was aware of because I like Tom Taylor so much um so it's written by Tom Taylor, art by Yvonne Quello, colors by Brian Reber, letters by V.C. Josephinho, cover by Yvonne Quello, Frank DeMarta, um, designed by Carlos Lau. And then we have our editors. Um, uh, Cuolo does the main cover, which is fine. It's good. It's just kind of some of the characters in the book. There's a variant with just Wolverine. And by Wolverine, I mean Laura. I guess I need to specify that for now on. Um, And she's just kind of in the dark ages on top of some rubble, just looking really badass. And I'm not sure, so there's three variant covers. Sometimes they say like what kind it is, like this is the uh, Asian month variant or the pride month. And you can kind of pretty easily tell. This one's not as obvious, but there's Brian Hitch, Megan Hetrick, and Ryan Stegman. I'm pretty sure this is neither Hitch nor Stegman, so I think it has to be Megan Hedrick, but it looks really nice. It's a a great cover. I think it's really good. All right, so remember in the last one, there's this big, like, EMP, the Unmaker, this big monster, and they defeat it with an EMP from another dimension, and Doctor Strange dies before he can close the portal, so the web, not the web, the world, collapses into darkness, and we're in the future of that, And Peter Parker is our narrator. So he talks about how initially the world went to shit really fast. And everyone was fighting. Wars on top of wars. Until someone started spreading a new message. And we see Jean Grey telling people, it doesn't have to be like this. And we get a really awesome scene of Wolverine as Laura. um, Saying it doesn't have to be like this. As a soldier is run a a bayonet. Through her shoulder. And I'm just not gonna say that Logan couldn't do that, but this to me highlights the difference. If he's stabbed through the shoulder and like severely wounded, even if he doesn't like lash out and go berserk and kill the guy, he's probably going to at least like cut the gun off and scare him or whatever. But Laura really wants this person to listen to what she has to say. So she doesn't... I mean, at least in the scene we see, she doesn't even take the bayonet out. She grabs a gun, like, stops the action. It's still, like, going in one shoulder and coming out the other. And she's like, it doesn't have to be like this. That I can't tell Tom Taylor and Yvonne Clover enough. I will try. Just how powerful of a panel that is to me and how that sums up who Laura is and can be. And I don't it's just... Everything intentional in that panel from the 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 language to the rhythm of what she's saying kind of talking through the pain of the one frozen shot of action of her just i don't know just holding that gun while it's stuck through her and just trying to reach the person on the other end not through violence not even through like trying to make herself more comfortable like her immediate concern is stop, stop what we're doing and listen to me please, I beg of you um, I don't know, it's just awesome and it's a really touching scene because it kind of reminds you in the real world of a Black Panther stopping some African child soldiers saying it does not have to be like this, children um, and Deadpool gets more of what I mentioned might be Wolverine Logan's reaction he's like, my friends have been trans- brainstorming, they have a thought Yep, you know, for hearing it, or should I go ahead and ram this sword through your eye socket? <laughs> you know, it was Marvel, Eden, uh, Captain America. And so we find out what happened here. What Tom Taylor sets up is instead of your typical post apocalyptic dystopia without electricity and with a reduced population and centered in a fewer cities they actually just discover a post-apocalyptic utopia. They adjust. They adapt. Um, there's kind of a handful of, like, mega cities, and the rest is just the Earth. Um, and all, each megacity has, like, a resident telepath, and so they're all kind of connected. But there's are still threats. Um, so they have a team of, like, the smartest brains in the Marvel Universe, both superhero and non-superhero, um joining together just to trying to find ways to reproduce some energy without electricity uh, to still like you know let the cities run have food stuff like that so they're still working together and then the spider-man characters around these cities have set up like a perimeter of webs remember in the walking dead like they would set up these strings of, like bells or cans and when the walkers came and and tripped over it it would you know ring a bell that's kind of what this is like if any of these unnatural forces that love the darkness so it's like your werewolves your vampires um people that hide in the shadows if any of them like run into a spider web it signals an alarm through the city so we we have one such situation and we have a team of wolverine gabby elsa bloodstone and blaine and then go to find the monsters and it is as werewolves and vampires um i love that Wolverine, Laura is kind of like head of security of whatever this mega this city is. And Gabby's like her deputy, Indian and then Blade and, and Bloodstone are kind of along from the ride. Right. We get a nice snick from each character. Um, Wolverine's like werewolves, and Gabby's like with delicate but fragrant undertones of vampire. Um, they smell them out, they attack them. Uh, then we see there's like a cave where Stark is working with Pepper, and a vampire comes in. He's the cave, he sneaks in, but Captain America comes in and decapitates him with his shield, and he talks about how there's hope, you know, maybe we can, what if we can restore electricity, what could you do? And Stark's like, Oh, well, I can, I can change the world, I can bring us back, and he's like, well, let me show you something, and so Cap walks him out into the woods, uh, I love that Stark has like a cane, and then like an Iron Man, like, um, a prosthetic leg, pretty cool, um, So then Captain America walks out and eventually leads Stark to Apocalypse and some vampires. Um, Tony Stark has like a lightning grenade that like eviscerates most of the vampires. It's pretty cool. Uh, The other vampire, which may or may not actually be Dracula, um, grabs Stark and Captain America, hits him with his shield and knocks him out. And it turns out it was Mystique all along. So they teleport away. And then... We go to like Apocalypse City. So I guess he's the dictator of Europe in this world. Um, he has a big like statue to him um, outside of the Louvre. And um, he takes Stark inside. He's built a big Faraday cage. And Stark's like, no, I tried this. I tried it even with like the most hardest metal, like adamantium and vibranium. It still didn't work. I couldn't overcome the, the residual EMP residue. On the planet, you would need something super magnetic. And Apocalypse is like, Well, what about Magneto? And he's got Magneto prisoner and he's uh, charging or decharging, I guess, however you want to say it, but magnetizing or demagnetizing the Faraday cage. And Apocalypse is they want to reproduce electricity. And he sees Reed and Riri Williams, Reed Richards and Williams are helping. He's like, "What are you guys doing here? We thought y'all were dead." He's like, "No, we just found it. We thought we could help the world." And Stark's still having doubts, but then Kilgrave comes up, the Purple Man, and Apocalypse says, "Take him," and so he takes over Iron Man. And I guess that's probably what happened to Reed and Rory as well. It's not spelled out explicitly, but it's definitely inferred. And Apocalypse is not only content to rule all of Europe and to bring back electricity. He wants to use the electricity to try to... I guess he had some kind of glimpse of the Unmaker and wants to bring him back. And that's where we end. Um, Art's really good. Story's pretty fun. Um, You know, we're we're past the setup from issue one. To me, the the best part of the issue was a part of the beginning with everyone trying to change people's minds about being violent and, and... I love the idea that it's a utopia. Um, You know, that having a simpler life, a more family-centric life uh, is actually, like, good for people, um, in a way. Uh, Less clutter and less technology. And, you know, kind of the uh, pastoral uh, view of what utopia could be. Um, I mean that, like, in in where the word comes from, like, pastoral, like, in a pasture. uh, Kind of the simple living, the simple, idyllic living. But they're still bad guys, and there's still Apocalypse over in Europe. So, I I don't know. I think it's a pretty good story so far still. Um, Yeah, I'll give Dark Ages 2 five out of six claws. Okay, we have two more things to go, and then uh, we'll catch up on Gambit's Gumbo um, before we go. So... Uh, Dark Cold Alpha, number one, and Amazing Spider-Man, number 74, or the Legacy number 875, both have a dead Wolverine in a apocalyptic dream sequence. Uh, the Dark Cold... So the whole idea behind this book, and let me go ahead and give you the credits. Um, if I can get to them. Dark Cold Alpha, written by Steve Orlando, Art by C- Cyan Tormy, colors by Jesus Arbato, letters and production by Clayton Cowles, the cover by Greg Smallwood. Um, on the cover, we have Dr. Doom opening the Dark Hold and then screaming heroes behind him. Um, it's fine. Um, so, the gist of this is Dr. Doom has discovered the original Dark Hold, actually written by, you know, on Chiton's brother's flesh. Um, and in the vision, we see a vision of Chathon taking over the Earth, or Chathon, I don't know how you say it. Um, and Wolverine is is wrapped up by a giant squid as all the heroes are killed. Um, so basically, Dr. Doom finds a book. Uh, you can't read it without going crazy, so... Uh, Dr. Doom, and what is her name? The girl really almost married a Fantastic Four... Uh, victorious, I think. Anyway, they have the book. Scarlet Witch shows up and says, no, you can't read the book. And like, what if we can? And they have kind of an argument. They both have a vision of Cathan trying to come back. So they agreed to work together to come up with a team. There was a a myth or a legend of these five people who represented five facets or values that were able to imprison C'thun and Scarlet Witch says we need to pull together the same team. So they get Iron Man, Blade, Wasp, Black Bolt, and Spider-Man. Iron Man is the Dreamer, Blade's the Hunter, Wasp is the Artist, Black Bolt's the Stoic, Spider-Man's the Fool, of course. Um, And so, they they decide to form a team. They're going to try to go over to the dimension and fight, but Doctor Doom goes by himself. But then he comes back and he's all destroyed, and we go back to C'thun's world, he was not able to defeat him, and you know, it was terrible, and now he's coming for us, and they're all going to have to read the book and go over there, so they do, but turns out they all turn into bad people, like bad virgins of themselves. Um and so everything is kind of gone to shit the art i don't know who what was it cyan for me is that their name come back because this cyan torme or torme this art's amazing guys it looks great um also with Arbatov's colors but this this book looks amazing facial expressions are great the action's good the design work is good um, everything looks fantastic. Oh, uh, the story is fine. It kind of starts off okay and kinda i am kind of lost interest by the time we get to evil versions of everybody. Um so I'm only gonna give the book like I don't know. I think enough of it's interesting in the beginning. Now, I'll put it this way, because of the art and there's enough hook in the story, I'm gonna give this alpha issue four out of six claws. But it's not a 4 out of 6 that makes me want to keep reading, because I probably won't. (laughs) I think, like, Foot 3 would check out and keep up or wait for it to be on Marvel Unlimited, but I probably won't read them in real time unless I see there's still, like, Wolverine appearances. Um, alright, so Amazing Spider-Man 74. The conclusion of the Kindred Saga and more. Man, this thing is full and expensive. Um... So what cost victory written by Nick Spencer and Christus Gage when the slew of ours, Marcelo Ferreira, Mark Bagley, Zane Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorelli, and Humberto Ramos. Um, an army of inkers: Wayne Faucher, Marcelo Ferreira, Andrew Hennessy, Andy Owens, Zane Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorelli, and Victor Olazaba. Colors by Andrew Crossley, Edgar Delgado, and Alex Sinclair. Letters by VC Joe Uh, Caramagna. Then, of course, we have a a, a page from Spectacular 200 by Mateus Mesima and Sharon. The cover is by Patrick Gleason and Alejandro Sanchez. We have Spider Man swinging through the park with Mary Jane. It's all light and sunny and bright. All right, I really don't want to get into all of this. I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about the Kindred story and how Spencer has retconned a huge chunk of the Osborne story with Harry and Norman. Some of which I feel like is probably good, some of it, I don't know. I will say, (sighs) the Kindred story, and especially the Sinister War parts, have been my least favorite part of Spencer's run, not because I'm, like, mad at the changes it this been, been the least interesting i had kind of really preferred like the boomerang stuff and that was fun um so, so anyway broad very very broad strokes it's really our our wolverine appearance it is at the end mefisto says spider-man is important he has to work on spider-man Because he's had a vision of a future where he defeats all the heroes, including Wolverine. But Spider-Man is the one that defeats him and keeps him from winning. That's why he's always screwing with Spider-Man. Brand new day, the Kindred story, all of it. And Doctor Strange is like, oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway, the gist. There's not one Kindred, there's two. They are the clones of... They're they're clones of... Just two babies. So, remember that story that some people really hate, some people don't mind as much, um, where Norman had kids with Gwen Stacy on her Euro trip, and they come back, and one woman comes like uh, the Grey Goblin, and one woman comes somebody else, I don't really remember. Anyway, so they are not, so, Norman played it, like, they found out that Peter was a father and he abandoned them, so that's why they originally attacked Peter. Then they found out, no, Norman's really your dad, and he knew it all along because so they turned on him and blah, blah, blah. Well, now we find out they're no one's kids. Norman didn't have an affair with Gwen Stacy, it was a false memory. And these kids are test tube babies with genetic material from Osborne and Gwen Stacy. But, and even, but even these virgins are clones of the originals. You know, they die, and they just kind of get recycled. Um, we also find out that Harry Osborn is a clone. That he really did die in that awesome story in Spectacular 200. One of my favorite Spider-Man issues of all time. Um, I haven't minded Harry being back, but that was a death that meant, and a story that meant a lot to me. Uh, it was so well done. Uh, and the height of the uh, awesome collaboration in Dave Mateus and uh, Sal Musima. But anyway, so at some point his consciousness was uploaded to a computer, and that consciousness still hated Spider Man, even though when Harry died, he kind of came to terms and got out in a heroic way. But this Harry is a clone who doesn't have the programming, but the AI programmer is still there, and he did all the kindred stuff through the help of Mephisto, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it all, I guess, gets resolved. <laughs> Harry dies again, um, and Mephisto is happy because Spider-Man is broken. But he, but Harry gets to keep his soul because he died a hero again, uh, trying to save his father, even though he doesn't, you know, was not loved. Norman still apparently is is kind of a decent guy after the whole Sinninger escapade. Uh, I believe the clones of the Stacey Bournes die as well. Um, anyway, there's a lot of art in here. Most of it's fine. Um, there's a Todd Knott story. I don't think that one had Krennis, did it? It was printed in here. This is a Christmas Gage one. Uh, art by Todd Knott, Rochelle Rosenberg, um, at the cemetery uh, at, P- at Ben Parker's tombstone, Peter meets a guy that was a friend of Ben's. But it turns out he wasn't really a friend. He was a guy Ben tried to help, who could never get sober but he finally did. And just how much he respects Ben. And there's a Ben Riley story, which I'm not fussed about one way or the other. Amazing. Um, this is a it's a big book. There's a lot here. I really don't want to get into the whole kindred story. I. I'm going to give Avengers Spider-Man 74 is fine. Three out of six claws. All right. We're going to end up with some Gambus Gumbo. In Excalibur number 24 is where we're going to end the day. The Trials of Captains Britain by the Pleasure of the Court. Written by Teeny Howard. Art by Marcus Toe. colors by Eric Arseniega. Lenders by V.C.'s Ariana Mayer, designed by Tom Mueller. Weird Azar and Matthew Wilson on the cover. It's a good cover, but I also got a variant this time uh, by Rain Gonzalez. And it's like a pastel-y, cartoony cover with Captain Britain kneeling with a sword, and then three sideways panels coming off of her body, with Gambit, Jubilee, and Richter. And it looks great. It's very cute. Very pretty. Alright, so remember we're having kind of our war, and Underworld is ramping up, uh, Underworld is turning on Captain Britain and Excalibur, because they're mutants, and their friends of Mordred, who is going to betray Arthur. So, um... Betsy Captain Britain goes to Sevilith, the Vampire Kingdom, and talks to his rulers so talk riddles to her, um, and, but, and gives her an idea. And then we see in the crooked market, Gambit is bringing things back from Earth, because the gates don't work right anymore, and he's trading them on the black market. Jim Jaspers gets mad, turns him into a maid, and makes him serve him tea, and then says, learn your lesson. Um, Jubilee takes Shogo to Fairy World where he can be a fun-loving dragon and and has fun. And the fairy, uh, Lady Roma, explains that why he's so upset on Earth and having crying more is because he can feel his powers leaving. Because every time he's on Earth, his powers get depleted the longer he's there. And so Jubilee's like, well, I want him to come here. I want him to be his his dragon self, but I'm also still his mom. And I, I need both. And I know it's selfish. And Roman says, it's not selfish. And Jimmy says, it is, but it's okay, I guess. And they fly away. Awesome looking art, by the way, of the dragon. I love Toad's dragon. Um, then Richter, Shatterstar, and Bay are running around in the desert. They can't really find anything. Um, then Captain Britain goes to see Death. And they, they spar a little bit. And she says, you know, I know you're on this kingdom here, but Otherworld's turning against mutants, and you are technically a mutant. And he's like, shh, they don't know that. Push comes a shove, I, I got the mutants' backs. Um, and she's like, cool. And then um, Captain Britain is, and there's another assassination attempt, but she goes, there's a nice, a lovely full page spread. They, if they took the word boys off, would be perfect. But um, she's, they're spending the night in a campfire outside the Starlight Citadel. And it's really cool, everyone's in their element. Uh, Richter and Shatterstar are cuddling. Betsy's standing by the fire in a dignified pose. Gambit's reclining on a rock, shuffling his cards. And um, Jubilee is uh, petting Shogo on the snout, giving him a hug. It's, it's perfect. So we have the trial and the false Captains Britain. Remember those alternate characters of Richter, Gambit, Rogue, and Jubilee? And the Jubilee one was killed. So the remaining three are on trial, subject to execution. Captain Britain stands up and says, All they are doing is answering the call. That's kind of her argument. They did the noble thing. Then Merlin comes in and says, Down with the mutants! And I have Arthur, he's alive, and he's gonna attack the citadel if we don't kick all the mutants out or whatever. He's the rightful king of Avalon, get rid of King Jamie. And Excalibur says, No, we must go defend and fight. And so they do. And basically, Arthur comes to the conclusion that he'd always thought his son would betray him. And he never really knew why. But now that he knows his son is a witch breed or a mutant, he says, he must betray me because he chooses his own kind over me, over his kingdom. So if I can kill all the mutants, then he won't choose to be a mutant, and then he won't betray me, and we can circumvent the prophecy, and everything's great. And so then, that's kind of it. That kicks off the world to other world. I blew through that. A couple of scenes of Gamut that are pretty cool. I love him being in the market and just, like, kind of being the guy that's like got, like, a Rubik's Cube and a Monopoly game. It's, like, just throwing this stuff around and, um, you know... You always get the sense that, yeah, sure, he's, he's training, but it's really almost like he's just bringing stuff to the people that they want. It's almost more... Because you don't really see him what he collects in return. He says that he does, and Jasper's is mad that he's training. Maybe he does go him like, a little bag of something. Uh, no, no, yeah, he actually the the gold he brings Forge gave him because he bought something from one of the, the citizens of Otherworld uh, so yeah, it's almost a very generous, like, hey, just here's the stuff a little lady grabs a Pop-Tart with like a cherry Pop-Tart um, it's great, the art's great I, you know, don't tell the at but I'm I'm kind of digging this story <laughs> i am really enjoying this issue. Um, I'm going to give it Scalibur 24, 5 out of 6 claws. I'm, this book is back on track for me. So, shh, it'll be our secret. Well, anyway, guys, that's the episode, y'all. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, next up will probably be some flashback. I have a couple in the bank I can pull out, so they're ready to go, waiting for the right time. I think the time is now, because I've been getting behind on stuff with uh, just our kids schedule and starting the remodel on the house finally, yay! Um, You know, things have been pretty hectic, but um, yeah, I'll try to get those lined up. So, um, yeah, please everyone, as always, stay well, stay safe Uh, for the podcast to go snit, You may like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. There's all the podcast stuff, plus tons of other comic stuff on there. Um, and then show notes are snickcast.podbean.com. Um, what else? I think that's it. So until next time, hugs and snacks, everyone. Bye-bye and snacked.